All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. Y'all can have a seat. We're doing things a little bit different this morning. Um, and uh, Brother Lee is uh, out of town. He's on vacation and enjoying time with his family. And uh, so I'm preaching this morning. My name is Sean Powell. I'm the family life minister. And this week, Matt said, hey, let's change things up a little bit. How about if we have you preach first and, uh, and then we'll do the music afterwards. And so, so I'm uh, delivering the sermon today. And so thank y'all so much for being here. And so before we do that, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we just want to come into your presence and we just want to thank you uh, so much for your love for us, for your uh, protection, for your forgiveness, for your mercy, for your compassion. Lord Jesus, we just we, we want to totally uh, worship you and put you first in our lives. And Lord, thank you for all that you did for us on the cross. Thank you for uh, going through that uh, horrible crucifixion, the being buried, Lord, and then coming back to life uh, on the third day. Lord Jesus, we cannot thank you enough for all you do for us every day. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So like Andy Bob was talking about um, Thanksgiving, um, I'm sure you guys have had a great Thanksgiving. I know we, have, uh, we don't have kids worship today, so we have a lot of kids in the crowd. I usually, I love jokes, and they, they tell me jokes, and I like to tell them jokes, and I have a few jokes to start off with, and kids, y'all can laugh if you want. Um, so what sound does a turkey's phone make? Wing, wing, wing. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks, John. Uh, or Cole said that. All right. So what did the turkey say to the hunter? Quack, quack. Hey, it's getting better. All right. So what happened to the turkey that got in a fight? This is an easy one. He got the stuffing knocked out of him. Okay. All right. We're good. All right. James will like this one. Um, what did Han Solo say to Luke Skywalker on Thanksgiving? May the forks be with you. Okay. It's getting better. All right. What sound does a dizzy turkey make? Wobble, wobble. Okay. Ah, not, not too bad. What kind of music did the pilgrims listen to? Plymouth Rock. Very good, Hillary. Congratulations. Why do pilgrims' pants always fall down? Because they wear their buckles on their hats. Okay, that was a good one. All right, why did they let the turkey join the band? This isn't a Bobby joke. Right, because they have drumsticks. Okay, all right. We, we let our turkey join the band uh, back here. Um, all right, now my family told me to stop telling Thanksgiving jokes, but I said I couldn't quit cold turkey. Just, just to let y'all know. Yeah, okay, we start off. Well, listen, I hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope you enjoyed everyone at the table. And that's exactly what I want to kind of talk to you about a little bit today. Um, I'm sure that you had family and friends around your table uh, for Thanksgiving this past Thursday. I'm sure you really enjoyed it, watching the Cowboys win. And which was a which was a great game, and uh, but I, I just want to ask a, a question. I, I would not imagine that any of y'all had enemies at your table. Okay, don't say anything. It, you know, so I, I know my mother-in-law is watching, so I'm not going to say anything. So, uh, but I, I know that uh, you know none of y'all probably had enemies at your table. The the kind of enemy enemies that really want to ruin your life. 
that want to destroy your life, the kind of enemy that lies to you every time he opens his mouth, the kind of enemy that wants to trick you in making the worst decisions of your life. Most of you, I would hope, no enemies were at your house. I would never let that kind of enemy in my house, let alone sit at my table, knowing that that person really has it out for me. That person really wants to destroy my life and wants to make me make bad decisions. Now, I, I do, I do want to ask this. I, I do want to say, or did you have that enemy sitting at your table? You know, the, next, the most popular uh, verses in the Bible, besides John 3.16, to me are in Psalm 23. So we're going to show this up on the screen, and I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, and we're going to kind of delve into it and talk about it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there it is, smack dab in the middle of Psalm 23. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the verse doesn't necessarily say that the enemy is sitting at your table. It does infer that there are enemies around you. Now, every now and then, the enemy, the devil, wants to sit at our table. He, he wants to pull up a chair at our table. So I, I want you to imagine you're at your favorite restaurant, whatever that restaurant is. Maybe it's Joe T's. Maybe it's, uh, you know, who knows, whatever, whatever favorite place you, you like to go. And you are fully, you, you, you pull up, and like Joe T's, for example, there's a long line, usually you can tell, and you're fully expecting, wow, there's going to be an hour and a half wait, there's going to be a two-hour hour wait. But to your surprise, when you go up to the hostess, the hostess says this, I have a special table for you, come this way. And you're like, wait, wait, I, I, I didn't make a reservation, how, how am I being, you know, how am I able to cut in front of all these people? And the hostess says... I know you didn't, but the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd, the Deliverer, the Light of the World, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, has prepared a special table for you. You walk down many narrow aisles, and you kind of see, a, and all the tables are full, celebrating birthdays and celebrating anniversaries, and there's, you know, girls' night out, and there's guys' night out, and everybody is having a really, really good time. You just wind your way down, down through the aisles, and you twist and you turn, and then all of a sudden, you come to the best table in the restaurant, the absolute, and it is prepared with all kinds of things that you can just dream about. There's a person sitting at the table, and this person is Jesus, and you lock eyes with Jesus, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. And immediately, you sense love, you sense grace, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. It's just you and Jesus sitting across from one another. But you also feel something different, you know? 
you do feel grace and you feel love, but you also sense strength and you, you sense power. Now, I want to take a moment and I want to show you a picture. This picture actually hangs in our fourth grade uh, kids classroom. David uh, Regeer uh, actually brought this. And raise your hand if you're, you've ever seen this picture. Yeah, lots, lots. This picture hung in my parents' bedroom. Uh, this wasn't the exact one, but there was many, many copies of that. And so if you look at the face of Jesus, uh, you will just notice a perfect complexion. His hair is perfect. His beard is, is perfect. His gaze is perfect. Beautiful blue eyes. And you look at this picture and you, you just automatically say, oh yeah, that's Jesus. But what I want to do is I, I kind of want to challenge you uh, today to, to kind of get rid of this Owen Mills type picture of Jesus. And I'd, li- I'd like to just kind of challenge you to, to really look at God's word and look at what it says in terms of how Jesus actually looks. Now, when we think of Jesus, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is Isaiah 52, 2. The Bible is very clear on, on the description of Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he looked like just a normal, everyday person. Now, you know, over and over, the New Testament describes Jesus as a good shepherd. Now, if you, you think about a shepherd, if you think about how a shepherd looks, the shepherd is always outside, always. He is always just, you know, climbing up hills and climbing down hills. He's taking care of the sheep. He's got a rod in one hand. He's got a, he's got a shepherd's crook in, a, in another hand. And he is constantly moving back and forth, and he's busy. He doesn't have time to necessarily brush his hair or trim his beard. Uh, you, could, you could probably see that he has a, has a tan on his face. Uh, he, he probably has a rugged face from being outside. And, I, and I, I'd like to just encourage you to have a picture of Jesus that he is our shepherd. He is our defender. And so as, you, as you, you, you're seated in this chair and you look across at Jesus, you see a picture that's totally different. And you see, you see somebody with strength and power, someone that is constantly watching over his sheep. He is a hardworking person. Now, John 10, 14 says this about Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so as you lock eyes and you're looking at the creator of the universe, the son of God, and you realize this man laid down his life for me. He is a strong man. He is fierce. First Peter says this, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of, of your souls. Jesus is the mighty son of God. Now, after he ascended into heaven, and we see a really different picture of, of the way Jesus looks in Revelation. In Revelation chapter one, verse 14 through 16, the Bible specifically says the hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Revelations 1.6 says, In his right hand he held seven stars. 
From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Revelation 19.16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelations 19.12, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Now, this, this man will have your back. When you're up against the wall, he has you. He uses his rod and his staff to protect you. With a staff, he can pull you to safety. And with the rod, he can defend you and protect you against your adversaries. You want to know exactly who you are sitting at across from you? Your hero, your defender, the all-powerful good shepherd. That's the Jesus of Psalm 23. And unfortunately, we have a tendency to really look at this picture, and that's really all we see. We don't see someone who is powerful, and who is our defender, who runs to us when we need help. He is there for us. And so I, wanted, I want you to, you know, if you're sitting at this table across from Jesus, which he said he prepares for you, a special table, that's the type of Jesus I want to see and that's the type of Jesus I want to encourage you to see. Now, moving along, going back to being in a restaurant. So you were seated at the table with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And you were enjoying a meal with, with Jesus. And that he prepared for you. A very, very special meal. And that he wants to be with you. He's the one who made the reservation now, I'd like to ask you, have you ever been out to eat and you're at a restaurant and maybe you're having your anniversary dinner or, you know, whatever you're with, with maybe your spouse or you're with a good friend or you're with a lot of people. Have you ever had someone kind of come up to your table and talk to you? This happens to us all the time uh, when, when we go out to eat. And, you know, usually it's, it's awesome. It's great. It's good to catch up. It's good to see friends. But have you ever had that one friend that they kind of pull out another chair and they sit down with you at the table. And here you are, maybe having a rom romantic meal with your wife or your husband. And all of a sudden, oh, hey, how's it going? And all of a sudden, they, they pull up a chair at your table, okay? Now, perhaps you, you don't really realize it, but this is exactly what Satan does to us. Satan, who wants to destroy us, who wants to ruin our lives, who wants us to make bad decisions, he just comes up to this table that we're, we're having you know, a great time with Jesus and he wants to insert himself into your mind, your heart, your life, and he wants to lie to you. And there Jesus is in all of his splendor. And so um, let, let, let's be honest. Let's talk about who this person is. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There is no doubt that the person sitting at this table now wants to devour you and me. And the devil begins to tell us a series of lies. Now, before I go on, I want to mention this summer, uh, Joy and I went to Galveston, and I usually like to listen to books on Audible and so I downloaded a, a book, uh, which is basically the basis of this sermon. 
And it's a book by Louis Giglio. Many of y'all know him from the Passion Conferences. He started Passion, and man, he's just done an amazing job. Just a very godly man, went to Southwestern Seminary. Um, and um, he, he wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And I want to highly recommend that you, you read this book or download it on Audible or whatever. Uh, it's, it's an, I'm going to just share with you a little chapter in this book and a little bit of the end of the chapter, the, the last chapter in the book, but, but really want to encourage you. I want to give him all the props for um, this incredible metaphor that he's kind of, kind of given us a really good picture of, of how Satan pulls up his chair uh, to the chair that we're sitting at with Jesus. Now, uh, I want to share with you one chapter, chapter he has is called The Des- Deadly Lies Exposed. And so he, he talks about, there's five lies, but for the sake of time, I'm going to mention four, so you'll have to read the book. And uh, these are lies that Satan uses. Now, I know that, there's, that he uses hundreds of thousands of lies with all of us. And so to pick out four lies is, yeah, I mean, it's just a small drop in the bucket. But I'd like to just emphasize these lies. So imagine you're sitting at, the, at this table with Jesus, and Satan says, hey, look around at the other tables. I, I, I want you to just look at their lives. And these lives, by the way, are totally void of a relationship with Christ, totally a void, a, a void of, of God in their lives. And so the devil casually says, hey, look around. They have better food. They have better service. They have better company than this table. They have a better view. They have a better price. They have more joy. They're, they're laughing a lot more. Better satisfaction. And the devil points at a specific table and he said, look at that table. And he said, it's a ta-, and he said, look at that family. And he gets out, you know, his iPad or his phone and he says, hey, look at them on Facebook. Look at their lives. Man, I, I just want to show you a couple things. Look at that amazing marriage. They have a better marriage than you do. Look, look at where they went on their vacation. Man, they're just having so much fun. They've got a ton of money. Look at the truck he drives. Whoa, man, look at her job. Man, look at her clothes. And wow, check the house that they live in. Man, their house is unbelievable. Check out that pool with a waterfall. Does your house have a pool with a waterfall? And he goes on and on. And he goes, look at their kids. They're, they're good looking. They're athletic. They're polite. Listen, that's the solution to all your problems. You need to leave this table because the person that you're sitting across from is not really giving you what you want, is not giving you all those those things. So what he does is he mixes in a little jealousy. He sifts in a little coveting and a dash of woe is me. And And then he says, you know what? God loves them more than you do. Obviously, he's blessing them more than he's blessing you. You have this thought that God has withheld something that you need. The next thing you know, you're convinced one of the most famous lies that God is not good. And you recall that's exactly what the serpent said to Adam and Eve in Genesis. And so you go down this and you start looking around at these other lies and these other tables. And then you start thinking, wow, God really hasn't answered any of my prayers lately. My life is not going too well. Matter of fact, my life is kind of a wreck. 
God hasn't, hasn't blessed me at all. And he convinces you that you're missing out on something, that God is not good, that God has been lying to you. He tries to convince you that the other tables are so much better. He does not tell you that he wants to destroy your life. He does not tell you he wants to destroy your marriage. He doesn't come right out and do that. But he just entices us and he tempts us. And you know, here, the, here that famous saying is, the grass is always greener on the other side. And I think he invented that, that lie. Because we, we all realize that the grass is not greener on the other side. But he really wants us to tempt us with that lie. You must understand that the devil wants to take your eyes off of Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And he wants you to get up from this table and he wants you to wander around the restaurant and find another table that you like. Because this table is not satisfying you. And then there's this saying, I always thought this saying was interesting. Yeah, you know what? Eagles fly with eagles. So I want to go fly with eagles. I don't want to I don't want to fly with turkeys. And man, they look like they're eagles. I want, I want to hang out with the best of the best. I want to hang out with the eagles. Now, if you are not firmly seated at the table with a good shepherd, and if you're not locking eyes with a good shepherd, you're going to get easily distracted by the tyranny of comparison. The enemy masterfully paints an inviting picture of freedom where the grass is always greener on the other side. Thoughts where you can shirk commitments and do whatever you want. And you, then you just kind of start moving away from God. Now, some of you may, may be thinking about bailing right now away from God or, or whatever situation that you're in. You know what? My, my life's not going very well. You don't have to live like this. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to do these things. I don't want to be told what to do. Now, if you're constantly comparing your life to others, then the enemy may be sitting at your table. Now, a second lie, and this is a lie that you are doomed. The devil wants you to give up. Have you bought into the lie that you're not going to make it? Then the enemy is at your table. When you have thoughts like, there's no way out, I might as well chuck it all, I might as well quit, when someone asks you a question like, hey, how are you doing? You, you come back and say, I'm not doing too good. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it out of this season of my life. I'm really not sure if I'm going to be able to finish this semester. I'm really not sure if I'm going to be able to finish this marriage. I'm, I'm really not sure if I'm going to be able to finish this. And so you, you, you constantly are barraged and, and Satan is constantly filling your mind. Give up, give up, give up. Just, just chuck it all in. Now, where does that come from? Obviously, that doesn't come from the good shepherd. That comes from the father of lies. Now, Psalm uh, 23 says very specifically, and I think we all need to, to really focus on this one word. In verse four, it says, even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The key word in these verses are through. Now, and so I want you to understand that he did not say you're going to the valley to stay. That is not your residence. That's not where you're going to camp out. He says he wants you to go through that valley. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. I got your back. I have my rod and I will protect you and I will watch out for you. 
Now, if some of you are really struggling with this lie, there's a great chapter in God's Word in Psalm 77. And the whole chapter is really, really powerful. I'm going to read one verse out of that chapter, and it says in Psalm 77, 19, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. When we go through hard times, we think that somehow God has left us. And we pray prayers like this, Lord, will you just be with us today? I, I want to sense your presence. Now, I, I want you to understand, and I've been there too, but God has already answered that prayer. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not realize that Christ G Jesus is in you? We don't have to request, request the presence of the Lord in our lives. If we have come to know him and have a personal relationship with him, he lives in us. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, he is, is with us when we go through our trials. Now, the third lie is a sense of worthlessness. If you're hearing uh, this statement, I'm not good enough, in your mind, the enemy is at your table. We have to be really careful of this lie, and I thought this, this truth was fascinating because Scripture calls us to be humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I'm going to read that to you again because I had to go over and over this to, to really uh, do it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Jesus doesn't want you to think less of yourself. Oh, I'm a worm. I'm just a terrible sinner. I'm a worthless person. I, I you know, I, I can't believe Jesus even loves me. And, hum, but humil, true humility is just thinking of yourself less and thinking of others. Now, we easily get confused uh, because we think it honors God when we think less of ourselves. But nothing could be further from the truth. You are made in the very image of God. Maybe you don't believe you are worth anything, or someone said you will never make it. Or maybe a spouse walked away, or a parent bailed on you. Or maybe the right man or woman didn't walk through the door. Maybe you have always wished you looked like someone else, or wish you had other gifts uh, that another person has. No matter what you do in your mind, it is never enough. This thinking does not come from the good shepherd. And we need to be able to easily recognize those lies. When Satan calls you worth, worthless, Jesus just leans across the table and he shows you his hands. And he goes, you are not worthless. I gave up my life for you. I absolutely, I gave it all for you. I, I absolutely love you. Now, this lie says you are a spiritual reject. You're a worthless sinner, and you will always be a worthless sinner. You're not God's child. He doesn't even like you. Instead, look across the table, lock eyes with Jesus. Do you sense any scorn? Do you sense any shame? Absolutely not. His blood has taken that away. We've already talked about his scars, but... But just imagine Jesus, you know, pouring you a glass of water and showing the scars on his hands. And he's just pouring you that water. He wants to refresh you. He wants to say, you are not worthless. I absolutely adore you. I love you. The Holy One invited you here. He booked the table and he prepared the meal. And the reservation cost him everything. Absolutely everything to sit across from the table with you. Jesus put, has put it all on the line to be sitting at that table. 
Don't give the enemy a seat at that table. Now, the fourth lie, it's me against the world. It's me against the world. Nobody's got my back. Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. When you believe that lie that everybody is against you, everybody at your job hates you, everybody in your family hates you, everybody in the church hates you. You know, it's kind of interesting. Louis tells a story about, about a guy who, um, you know, he saw him one time and he goes, uh, you know, he's talking about his job and he goes, hey, are you still working there? No, I, I quit that job because uh, nobody likes me there. And then he ran into him again and, and uh, he was at another job and he goes, you know, nobody liked me there. The boss didn't like me at all. I didn't like any of the employees. Then he runs into him again and he goes, hey, how's, your, how, how's it going? How's your, how's your marriage? And he goes, oh, I'm divorced. And he goes, no, her family didn't like me at all. Her family didn't love, you know, like me at all. And, and, and do you see that, that pattern? He, he just thinks everybody is out to get him. Everybody is, is out to, um, to kind of, you know, uh, put him down. And so um, we easily, whoops, I kind of slid by and, okay. Okay, like for example, you have a feeling everybody in the church doesn't like me. The pastors don't like me. The professors, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, my Sunday school teacher, even the waiter spit in my soup. So if you're hearing the voice, everybody is against you, there's a good chance that the enemy is sitting at your table. It encourages you to mistrust everybody in life. You may not use those words, hate, but do you say something like this? You know what? She didn't even look up when I walked into the office. He didn't, he, he didn't say anything to me when I came in the church doors. I smiled at them, but they didn't smile at me, back, back at me. You know, you see those people over there in that corner? They're talking about me. I know they're talking about me. They're, they're, they're out to get me. You know that friend of mine? I, I, I don't think they're, they're ever going to be my friend again. All my friends do things without me, no matter, no matter what. I never get invited to anything. No, nobody, nobody invites me. And do you hear the father of all lies, Satan, whispering in, into your ear that, listen, it's you against the world. Nobody loves you. Nobody likes you. You're basically a worthless sinner. You know, and, and, and as you go on, you, you begin to spot these lies, now, whether unspoken or spoken, you know, you have this sense of, you know what, I'm going to punch people before they punch me. I'm going to leave them before they leave me. I'm going to slight them before they slight me. And that's usually what happens. The truth is that you have not let the good shepherd lead you by still water. God has prepared a table just for you, and God's got your back. Jesus is not some noodled arm weakling like we talked about. He's the Lord of all creation, and he is powerful, and he wants to sit at the table with you. You are loved. It is not you against the world. And so my challenge to you is, is unclench your fist toward everybody in the world and just receive the love of Jesus and to be able to, uh, to give that love back to other people. Now, I, I, I just want to close here and... Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, closing, the last chapter in his book, he had, some, he had seven things that we need to say to ourselves, you know, regularly. And he, he, he said that our mind is, a, is like a garden and that what we sow, we're going to reap. And he mentioned seven things uh, 
that we need to say to ourselves every day, that we need to plant in our mind to be able to counteract the lies of Satan. And I, I picked, just for the sake of time, I picked two out that I thought were really, really powerful. And, I, you know, I was doing a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I uh, was giving a sermon, and I, I came across this statement. Um, and th- I thought this was really powerful. The grass is greener where you water it the most. The grass is greener where you water it the most. Where, where, you, where most of your thoughts are, that's, that's what's going to flourish in your life. And so if you act like your mind is a, a garden and you're the gardener and you want to sow truth into your mind and memorize scripture, you know, it's really, really powerful for you to do that. And so, um, so, plant, so uh, you're, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to plant good thoughts. You're going to plant the, uh, the thought. When you look in the mirror, I want you to say this. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So when you feel the, you hear those lies of Satan and you hear Satan just kind of constantly barraging you, wanting you to compare yourself and saying that you're worthless and saying that, that life is hopeless, when you, when you have that in your life, you just need to say, no, no way, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, for you created my inmost parts, you wove me to, uh, in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you because I am, I love the way the New American Standard Bible says this, I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. And so when you say this every day and you're planning these scriptures in your heart, when, when Satan does lie to you and Satan does say, say things to pull you down, to get you away from the table, you need to say, no, no, absolutely not. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and also saying, you know this, that you are not the maker. Sometimes we think we're the maker and we want to create God the way we want to create God. He decided he wanted you in the universe. He created you. He is the maker. We are divinely crafted Now, the second thing that we need to plant in our garden is this saying, the cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The work on the the cross defines your life. You're identified with Christ. You are a brand new creation. You are wanted by God. You are made in the image of God and worthy of Christ's love. Your identity was born in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You are forgiven. You are made right. Your guilt is gone. You are free. And the verse that you should memorize, we all should, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't let the enemy have a seat at your table. I just want to challenge you. Um, you know, in, in this, and, and when, I, when I was listening to this book, I just... I just went, wow, I, I let the enemy sit at my table all the time. I let the enemy lie to me. I let the enemy say things about me. And, and, and it was really eye-opening that we do allow Satan a seat at our table. And so my challenge to you, um, you know, as you, as you think on this sermon, is, is for you to understand and for you to be able to identify those lies and say, oh, that's a lie directly from the devil. And that is not what Jesus thinks about me. 
This is what Jesus thinks about me. And, and you need to just get up and you need to dismiss him from your table. You need to say, I'm sorry. You don't really have a seat at my table. It's, it's me and Jesus. And you lock eyes with him and you glorify him in your life. And I really, really want to challenge you. See him as your protector, your defender, your powerful warrior for you. He loves you so much. He gave up his life for you. And he has a table set for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, forgive us for when we make you just weak in our lives and when we listen to all kinds of lies um, that are contrary to your word. Lord Jesus, I pray that we can just identify just those lies from the enemy. And Lord Jesus, forgive us for when we get up from the table and we stop hanging out with you, we stop looking in your eyes and we go to another table. Lord Jesus, I don't know who's here today that maybe they're eating at another table and it's totally void of you. And Jesus, I, I just pray that you would just call them back because I know the seat is open for them. And Lord Jesus, you have a seat for them at the table and I just pray that they would, would accept that invitation that you have. Lord Jesus, we love you. We cannot thank you enough for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.